Hello friends, welcome to episode 128 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are you doing, Rob? Uh, not too bad. Got decent sleep last night, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm managing. I'm there were managing. burgers, and then there were cannolis, so I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, we're pretty full at the moment, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I thought, I thought today was going to be a sad day, but, nope. uh, friends, friends helped distract me from that, and I'm, I, I pulled up out of my, uh, out of my little depressive fit this morning, so. That's right, all it took was a little Dark Souls. Yeah, it took, took, a, little, <laughs> took a little Dark Souls. Pick myself back up from the bonfire and try again. That's, That's what you right. always do, man. That's right. Um... So I don't know. Do you, we got we got a lot of show to go. Do you, Let's just like, jump straight to show. Jump straight into it. So yeah, today it's yeah. the second Tuesday or sorry, second Wednesday of the month. So we are doing our systems spotlight as usual. Today we're talking about Chaosium Games, uh, Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. Yeah, Seventh, seventh which says edition, a lot, yeah. and and it's not recent. Like Seventh Edition has been out for a while. Yeah. Um. But uh, it it with and I'm going to say this. Never played it. Never got involved in it. Never had any friends who played it, but I knew about it peripherally. I watched a few games in the past. I was at a convention a long time ago, yeah, and uh, witnessed a few tables of it that were interesting. You know, I, I kind of didn't like. I was never into the whole like horror suspense kind of thing mm-hmm. that followed it, but I always thought that the lore was interesting. Um, there was a point where I did some, uh, I had to do some research for another game, and I did some research into Cthulhu, and uh, and a lot of just H.P. Lovecraftian stuff, and discovered his writing style, um, and and some of the prevailing stories that I- existed from there, and the rabbit hole of stuff that came from it. Oh yeah, it yeah. is immense. You, it is absolutely immense. Start with Lovecraft, and then you go down the rabbit hole of the mythos. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's. It's. Uh. I. Uh. I always know. I've. I've. I'm kind of the same story as you. Always known about the the role playing game. Has never. Have never played it. Um. And. Uh. But I have. Uh. Read. I, don't know, I wouldn't even say quite a bit. I've. I've read. I've read a a, a handful of Lovecraft. Um, I have a copy of uh, Eldritch Horror, the board game. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing. It is an amazing board game. I, played, amazing. I think I played it with fun. you, in fact. I don't know if we ever got around to it, but I, I know I've suggested it several times, but it's like one of those board games where you need six hours to put aside. Yeah, yeah. I, I must have played it then with uh, another couple, because I know that I've played it. And it was neat. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was definitely different as board games, um, but totally had the feel. Oh yeah, completely had the yeah, feel. Absolutely, um, but I, I've I've read a couple uh, or a handful of his stories enough to get to, to get the feel for his writing and such like that, and yes. and whatnot, and, and uh, enough that we can both lay down this disclaimer right now for those who have not, yes. and are getting interested by our show. So disclaimer right at the bat: H.P. Lovecraft was a hella racist, complete racist, um, super racist. Even for his time, people were like, "Dude, tone it down." Yeah, uh, yeah. we cannot say the name of his cat. No. It no. is exactly what you think it is, though. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. It's very prevalent in his writing, um, uh, yeah. just describing, um, describing people as bestial and and just just really really horrible things. Um, so if you read his stories, do be prepared for that. Yeah. Um, there however, are many. Oh, there are also many connected works that followed that. Uh, followed that theme to keep in the style, and I think that, uh, you, again, they were prevalent of the time mm-hmm. um and connective of the time uh and the authors there within 
Um, they are not reflective of our views in any way. Um, we are we are modern. We have moved beyond this. We are we are not that. But we are looking. Yep. We we will speak to it as it is part of the core contextual theme. Sure, sure. So uh, the one the one comfort I have though is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is dead and gone. Good riddance. Correct. Um, and uh, all of his stories are public domain, so not a penny is going to his racist racist estate. Correct. Um, so we are uh, fully able to death of the author him, if you're yes. familiar with that term. Yep. Um, where uh, we can take his work for what it is, while not providing to his well-being at all. Um, his contributions, though, to the horror genre. Um, were significant though, um, and will definitely live beyond his racist legacy. Yes. Uh, so uh, he laid the great found work, uh, groundwork for it. So yep. take what he wrote and make better stories out of it. Yes, which people have done amazingly well at. Um, one of the things that intrigued me about uh, the the whole genre and actual Call of Cthulhu as a game was that it is a very strong theme mm-hmm. of horror and effectively like utter helplessness at the immensity of things. Yeah, it's in it, it, the thing the thing about Lovecraftian horror mm-hmm. is what we call cosmic horror. Right. Um and it kind of differs from the whole like monster of the week of like rar I'm a werewolf and I'm going to eat you. Like that's terror in a sense there's a clear and present danger that is Mm -hmm. mortal to your body Mm -hmm. whereas cosmic horror is more existential dread Mm -hmm. um in the idea that there are these like immense cosmic beings that we are barely insects to right and they could roll over in their sleep and destroy our entire world and they wouldn't even notice right you know uh and that's that's the type of horror that we're talking about here. Now, there is some of the, you know, definitely... Monster of the Week stuff. Y- you know, if a Deep One or a Shoggoth or something like that is in the room with you, you're not going to have a good time. Don't... Right. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely a thing. But, like, the horror of Cthulhu is not, is is not, oh, God, what is he going to do to me physically? It's, oh, God, he exists Right. This changes everything I think I know about the universe. Exactly. And sometimes that's, I mean, I will flat out say the concept of running that as a game and keeping that up in a system is daunting because mm-hmm. players regularly face gods in, in D&D games. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. They go toe-to-toe, mono mono with the mentality and or physicality of a god. Yeah. In, in, to to handle situations and those kinds of reality breaking moments when you have to recognize that that means whatever this is is incomparable yeah you you it's it's sometimes hard to add a perspective to something that is incomparable well, and I, and I... put it to to something that is outside of their control and i think that's one of the hardest parts about call of cthulhu in general is setting that expectation and meeting it as a storyteller well i think the game system itself does a very good job of of kind of setting that up um there's several mechanics in play like the fact that your hit your hit points don't go up agreed period like uh and then like when you start looking comparing like average hit point values versus average damage values on something as simple as a pistol mm-hmm. um and you realize that if they crit they can get you in one shot Right. And your hit points never improve. Yep. So you're always one 
stray bullet away from death. Which which is where I come back to, uh, and what kind of got me back into this and reading about it and listening more. I'll let you kind of run with the mechanics. Sure, They're sure, fantastic, sure. and it's totally your thing. But when I started looking at some of the narrative pieces that come out of this and mm-hmm. what, what changes were made, it, it kind of drew me back in and reminded me of a very specific story. And I'm going to get it out of the way, and then we can get right into the history of this. All right, sure. But I, I had to do some digging to find it. But there was a guy... And I told the story I know in one of the episodes that I couldn't find it, uh, who, when he, st- he wanted his players to feel vulnerable mm-hmm. from the beginning of the game, he wanted them to have that feeling. So he got, you know, the, the six, so he had, uh, seven players at his table Sure. and, uh, you know, standard outlay. One of them was a fighter, very cocky. You know, you had your rogue, your, your mage, your cleric, your, uh, your, your, uh, uh, sage type character. Sorry, and... this was a D and D game. Yes. Okay. Okay. And he brings them all. Uh, they go through their session zero. Everything goes fine. Everybody's got their characters. They're all good. Session one opens up. Uh, they eventually get to uh, you. You know your Arthurian court style scene. You know where in walks the villain mm-hmm. to present themselves. And one of the players, like, you know, he's got two or three guards with him, you mm-hmm. know, his henchmen. And, like, the players are like, oh, okay, so this is the big bad guy. All right. So, you know, what, what you know, what's he going to do kind of a thing. And one of the players is like, you're just a man. A man can be killed. And said, I'm, I'm going to go attack him. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, let's roll initiative. I'll even give you an ambush. And he's like, okay. And so he gets, you know, he swings and hits him. And when he hits him, it drives into his shoulder. And the guy, like, you connected, you do damage. Okay. His retort, he stabs you through the chest. He literally picked up four dice for damage, rolls them out in front of them. They were D20s. Oh, wow. You take 40 points of damage. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm dead. He's like, he twists and pushes you off his blade. Yep. Anyone else want to try this? Mm-hmm. Can we get back to having a conversation now? And he left him dying. He goes, but our friend, he's dead. And continued monologuing and talking with the king for a full 10 minutes. And he kept telling that player, go ahead, roll another death blow. Roll <laughs> another death blow. The player died right there. Oh, yeah. First act, and the player was like, I'm out. And like got from the table and left. Bye. The next day they talked and he was just like, that was great acting. Thank you so much for letting the players know what the dread level was. <laughs> and... He just, he literally had a ringer murdered in front of the PCs. Oh, that's great. To get them in the mood. That that's this great. Guy, this guy was going to mean business all the way through the story. Mm-hmm. And it set that precedent. And I think this game doesn't necessarily need to do that because this, the the feeling is already there. It's already part of what's embedded. Yeah, you, you kind of, hopefully you kind of know what you're getting into in Call of Cthulhu. And if you don't, um, you should learn pretty quick because you're going to have a bad time if you try to treat it like D&D. Yep. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to say, let's start painting that picture. All right, so uh, 7th edition, Chaosium, uh, uh, published by Chaosium Games, um, first released in 1981. Not, not okay. 7th edition, but Call of Cthulhu in general. The original, yes. Um, system was based on uh, the basic role-playing uh, game by Chaosium. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, so basically, we've we've had just several versions of it. It's always been really with Chaosium. And it, the version to version, it has not changed much. Until, I believe, 7th edition, where 7th edition actually was the first major shift in the rules system. Yeah. Because um, I remember when it came out, actually, um, being that it's always been kind of in part of the, 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 the tabletop zeitgeist, mm-hmm, that... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do remember a little bit of upcry of like oh god did you see the new Chaosium you know seventh uh, seventh edition rules and I was like no yeah I, I don't really play so I wouldn't know what you know the right difference. right right and I I do remember there was some people going like no this is actually good and some people going like ah oh, you changed everything you know yeah exactly um but uh, uh, let's see here um now there was in two thousand one uh, and I had this book. Uh, the D twenty version yeah. of Call of Cthulhu, the conversion, yeah, yeah, um, which actually, didn't include some interesting rule changes. It did. I mean, it, the, the 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 problem the problem with it was that, of course, it was a level based class based system because they tried to turn it basically into D anD D. But I really liked how they did magic. Magic was very cool because mm-hmm. you could take stat damage. Like you can cast that spell as many times as you want, but roll a D six and subtract it from your strength every time. You know, mm-hmm. um, and in, literally until you can't keep your legs under you, you can cast that spell. It's, it was really cool. Um, so you know, for better or for worse, because uh, they there was... added the one of the questions that just came up in the live show chat was what was the what were was the crying point? And I think what two of the biggest points that came up was they did add rules for sanity and luck, which changed a flavor of the game. I thought the sanity rules were always there. They were new rule sets for them. And the oh, whole, new rule sets for And that, that was the whole thing was is that it shifted the tone. Mm-hmm. And, again, people were tending to play it still like D&D in a different theme story. Yeah. And this kind of forced the hand of a new story style. Although, through all of these versions, the narration uh, depictions that they laid out were virtually identical oh yeah yeah they've yeah. kept with that the whole way through and i think that's beautiful i um uh, when i was researching for the show uh i was uh seth skorkowski friend of the show oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who talked to us a bit about uh, space operas and traveler mm-hmm, and such mm-hmm. like that um was uh i, I did a, a really comprehensive breakdown of the system yeah and so i was watching uh watching his videos and whatnot and uh he was saying that like he's got you know old like fourth and fifth edition modules yeah and stuff like that that he i mean they're he doesn't have to change anything they're no. completely valid yeah because because you know. they're story-based modules yeah. they're they're uh, and I'll, I'll, when i when we get down to the narrative parts of this i'll kind of describe that a little differently is that there was a major shift in many of the modules away from the traditional D and D style of writing modules Mm -hmm. of, of room to room encounter to encounter. Um, And that made the game very different because you weren't dealing with stats and combat as much as you were dealing with discovery and story. And I think that really makes a huge impact difference Mm -hmm. and sets this apart in many ways from other systems. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now, speaking of other systems, actually, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of other licenses oh that God, so um, many. that kind of carry the the whole Cthulhu name, the the, the Lovecraftian, mm-hmm. uh, it t- that tie into this. And that's, I think, one of the one of the most wonderful things about Lovecraftian horror is it's so portable. Oh God, yeah. Um, so there are dozens of other time periods that you mm-hmm. can play in out there, and some of these are like official products some of them are, are uh by other um game systems uh like uh grenadier games um 
uh, yogsathoth.com, uh, Games Workshop, yeah. I guess, even had some. Yep. Uh, Triad Entertainment, uh, Theater of the Mind Enterprises, River Press, or sorry, Miskatonic River Press, uh, Infogr- Infograms. Infograms. Um, Do you remember Infograms? I don't. Infograms is one of the greatest PC game makers. They actually had a great theme song, too. I'll just play it for you sometime. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but but suffice to say, though, like you can kind of take cosmic horror and overlay it onto just about anything. So yeah. there's Cthulhu Invictus, which is um, uh, 100 AD Roman era. Yeah. Uh, Cthulhu Dark Ages, uh, Dark uh, Down Darker Trails, which mm-hmm. is uh, 19th century American Old West. Um, Cthulhu by Gaslight is Victorian. Pulp Cthulhu, Octung Cthulhu is World War II. Uh, Atomic Age Cthulhu. Um, I've got a copy of this because you bought it for my birthday uh, a year or two ago. It was Cat Thulu. I did. I did. Um, which is your your you are it's Cthulhu, but you are cats. Yeah, I like cats. the Cthulhu Rising and Cthulhu Icarus, which is the 23rd century space fiction. Yeah. that they did. Um, Delta Green's, I think, one of the more recent ones. Uh, Delta um, Green's been around for a while, but... The, uh, there was a game, though. Yeah, was yeah, more recent. yeah. It's, it's got kind of um, its own setting, but it's all tied in. Punk Town was the cyberpunk one mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Miskatonic River did. Uh, and then they had the Gumshoe system, which was Trail of Cthulhu. And then World War II, the Cold War, uh, World War Cthulhu. Um, but there were there were even more than this that I know of uh, that uh, that are just insane. There's there's one um and I don't know if it's on this list or not. I might it it, it might be this uh, uh Atomic Age Cthulhu? No, mm-hmm. it's not that one. But anyways, there there's there's one set in like space and it's basically plays out like event like the movie Event Horizon. Yes. Oh, amazing. Yes. Or um uh, Dead Space. Dead Space, Dead Space is Dead another Space, another yeah. another really great one. Yeah, um, and there are a lot of games that are inspired by without yeah. a doubt that are not technically genre Mm -hmm. but you can clearly see the crossover points i mean there's a a decent amount of warhammer itself that has cthulian aspects drawn right into it oh yeah um yeah the the, the warp is yeah is very lovecraftian in in that like ancient star gods that are just even the uh uh even some of the uh, the new world game has aspects of Cthulian into it a little bit with the way that chaos drains you as you're, a f- you're 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 trying to get into certain areas and you've got tendrils coming out of nowhere and yeah the the the, the icor drips upward yeah <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a little it's a little creepy yeah um so anyways uh the original conception was uh uh by uh, was was the dark worlds yes um yes. so it's kind of what the, what the game originally was um and then uh. I think it was Sa- Sandy, Sandy Peterson, Peterson was yeah. the one who convinced them to do it because they didn't want to do it at first. Uh, and Chaosium was like, okay, is it RuneQuest? Is that what you're thinking of doing? Yeah, we're going to do that in Lovecraftian uh, Dreamland, basically, yes. is what we're going to do. And then that became the original Call of Cthulhu in 81. And Sandy stuck around for four editions. Four editions, yep. Uh, it was passed off to Lynn Willis after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, continued for five and six. six editions. And then Mike Mason and Paul Fricker took over for seventh edition in 2014. Yep. And that brings us up to present. Um, it's been very consistent. It's, it's one, one of the few game systems that wasn't passed around like a yeah. football. You know? yeah. The only thing that changed was, I think in, they said in 2016, there was a new colored release of it that they released that was really nice. Yep. Um, yep. But what's great is you can go back to the old ones and grab info and uh, and effectively modules out of them and they play perfectly fine yes there's some really nice leather editions apparent apparently as well that, that are out there um the uh w- which 
brings me to an interesting note, which is that 11 of the 21 Call of Cthulhu supplements currently in print from Chaosium mm-hmm. are adventure books. Yeah. The only people who get close to that are White Wolf. Oh, wow. You know, I, I, at this point, I'd have expected that to be Wizards of the Coast with Dungeons and Dragons, but no. No. It's, it's a percentage. If you think about it, like, surely based upon numbers. Sure, sure. I mean, they, D&D re-released a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not whole cloth new. and But they just kept putting out new supplements. And this is just the ones that they did, not ones that have been added on by others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, I've, I've seen quite a few out there on DriveThruRPG. They had 10 awards between 1982 and 2003 mm-hmm. um, from... A various number of places. Um, and then in 1996, well after uh, they had been out, they were asked in Arcane... Ma- they did a reader poll in Arcane Magazine to determine the 50 most popular role-playing games, and it came in as number one. That's astounding to in me. In 96, of all like, things. I've been playing games for a long time, and like, how do mm-hmm. I? How have I not played the number one game, you know, yep. like, this entire time? That's yeah. crazy to and me. And it was 10 years old at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a uh, uh, ninety six of fifteen years old. So exactly. Yeah. Um. But uh, and it is the most played game in Japan. It is the most played game in Japan. Yes. Like a, a, a Call of Cthulhu is in Japan's zeitgeist the same way that D and D is in America's. It's like, oh, you're gonna play a t- tabletop RPG? Cool. Which Call of Cthulhu game are you playing? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh that's that's pretty crazy. All right, so you want to talk a little bit about the, mecha- about the mechanics of the game now? I would like you to run through that. <laughs> All right. This may take a little while and sound complex, but All in right. fact, it is not bad. Now, I will say one thing. Like, I, I initially took a brief look at this a while ago, and I was very put off because there was a lot of very big numbers, and it looked like there was a lot of math involved, and I just recoiled in horror. But what I can say, though, is now that I've looked at it um, quite a bit, it's very easy. All the math is done basically during character creation. Mm-hmm. And if you can divide by two or divide by five, then you then great. Cool. That's all the math you're doing, you know? Um, your uh, your statistics, uh, you're going to roll 3d6, or for just a couple of them, you're going to roll 2d6 plus six. Puts you in the same number space of three to 18, but they're guaranteeing essentially a six on one of those rolls. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to multiply each one of those by five. So you're going to end up with these very big numbers. Yeah. Um, and the reason for the big numbers is because the, uh, unlike most games that are D20 based, you're, uh, it's all percentile based. So you're mm-hmm. rolling either your 2D10 for percentile dice or a D100 if you're one of those people who likes walking around with a die the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> um, so true. Uh, so yeah, all, all of your stats, including luck are uh, 3d6 times 5, or this 2d6 plus 6 times 5. And the goal, in in essence, is to roll under. Yes, you're creating thresholds under which you want to roll that. Yes. Um, on, on your percentile die. Uh, there's a lot of derived stats. Mm-hmm. Um, your HP, your size mm-hmm. um, is one, because uh, uh, you'll actually... Um, like how big your character is kind of matters. So does your age. Uh, your age matters. There's a there's a whole chart for the modifiers to your stats after after the fact, depending on how old you are. Mm-hmm. Are you young and spry, or are you old and wise? Mm-hmm. Have you picked up a few things along the way? Yep. Um, 
And then uh, from there, that will also kind of derive how your how your skills come out as well. They're going to do a calculation based off of whatever your base stats are. Um, but skills are also figured out by your occupation. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a classless, levelless system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the closest you get to a class is your occupation. Right. Okay. And that's your job. Literally what you do for a living. Um, so it's not anything like fighter or ranger or rogue. It's things like, I'm a private investigator. I'm a waitress. Mm-hmm. I'm a vagabond. Mm-hmm. I'm a deep sea diver. It, there's a long and extensive list. Um, and if you can't find exactly what you're looking for, you can probably find something that's close to what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, from there, basically, you look at your at whatever that occupation offers. Um, it will tell you how to calculate skill points. For that particular occupation, it'll give you a quick little equation of add this number, add this number, multiply by this, and divide by this, or whatever, you know. You get that many skill points, and it gives you a list of skills that are available to you. You may then divide that number of points into that many skills. And again, your skills are going to be on a sort of 0 to 99 uh, scale as well. Mm -hmm. Because everything in this game system, you just roll percentile, try to get under it. Which is pretty simple. And there are, uh, what is it, if you roll within a certain bracket. Yes. Um, so, and this is kind of where uh, I was a little freaked out by the amount of math. Right. But again, if you can divide by two, and you can divide by five, all the math is done for you. Yeah. So your brackets are basically half your score and one-fifth your score. And those are your hard and extreme thresholds, respectively. Right. So, say I've got a 60 in firearms pistol. Okay. Okay. Just making a simple shot at a regular old target, I'm going to roll my percentile dice and try to get 60 or under. Okay. Okay. Now, if this is a particularly tricky shot, like I'm making a really, like a called shot at maybe like the head, Mm -hmm. the Keeper of Secrets, which is what storytellers are called in this system, um, may ask for that as a hard check. Okay. At this point, I will need to roll 30 or under because that is half of 60. Right. Okay. Then, um, if I'm trying to, like, aim specifically for the eye, or, like, the fingers of its left hand. You know, or, or like, at the wrist so it drops somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Now, this might be an extreme difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's going to be one-fifth of my six, uh, which is, what, fifteen? Uh, yes. Something like that? Thirteen? Thirteen. Twelve. Twelve, because 12, the one-fifth. Yes, twelve. I can math. Yeah, um, we're playing with numbers in our head. Yeah, 12, 12 or under. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes these, I mean, sometimes that's the target number, you know, for them. But sometimes it also acts just as a threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we talk about combat a little bit later, um, that's where you get, like, your impaling strikes from. So I may just fire my gun at you, 60 or under. Mm-hmm. But if I hit that 12 or under, that's an impaling strike. That's essentially my crit range. Nice. Um and so then I do some bonus damage and some cool things happen for me. And we're all very happy about it. Um, so skills are skills are pretty pretty straightforward uh, uh, as far as that goes. Um, advancement kind of happens through your skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't actually a proper like XP system in this. Which I think is neat. It plays a little bit like Mouse Guard in that when you use the skill, you gain and you, and you succeed with that skill. You gain a little check mark next to it. Mm-hmm. And then when you go into the development phase, um, you look at all your check marks and you try to roll over your skill, not uh. under. Because the more you master a skill, the less you can learn 
about how to master that skill further, right? Correct. So you have that to roll. Sense. You have to roll above your skill, and if you succeed in that, you roll a d10 and you add that to your and you add it to your to your skill. I like that. I like and, that. And that's how character development's gone done. And that's why you don't have things like more hit points or anything like that. There's nothing to buy. Right. You know. Um, luck is another thing that they added. Um, it's again, you said it was a drive stat and, and in a pool. Um, uh, luck is actually not a drive stat. That one's, that one's a 3d6 times five. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Yes. It's its own thing. Uh, I, I made a mistake here on the, on the, 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 the thing. Was drive. Okay. So then that is just a different role. It's not like you can, unlike some systems where luck is like, I throw this die in mm-hmm. like a drama die or inspiration die. It's an actual role on its own. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a funny stat because it's both a stat and a pool. Um, so you're, you're going to have your luck score. So say it's like 50, right? Um, now the keeper may call for a luck check when they need to figure out if something happens on the toss of a die, Mm -hmm. but they don't want, but it's not like connected to a skill. Like you're not doing anything to actively cause it happening, you know? Um, like I'm trying to hail a cab. Okay. Give me a luck roll just to see if one shows up Mm -hmm. that you can hail. Okay, cool. And then it acts like just every other roll. Right. D100. Under the under the stat, but what you can do is you can actually spend your luck on a one to one basis to buy essentially numbers. Um, so if I roll, okay, I need a, I pull out my gun and I'm shooting at a bayaki. Uh, extra points if you know what that is. Um, and I need uh I need a thirty or under to hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I roll a twenty seven. Okay. Or no, sorry, not a 27. I roll a 33. Okay. Okay. So that's over my 30 that I needed it. So right now I'm missing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I missed by three. Okay. I can spend, I can permanently reduce my luck pool, my luck stat, by three to buy those numbers that I need. Oh. To essentially buy it from a 33 down to a 30 mm-hmm. and hit. Okay. But again, it's that's where it goes. Like, it's spent. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, eventually, your investigator's you luck... You run out of luck. Your investigator runs out of luck. Okay, okay. Um, so do that sparingly. It's not something that gets refreshed very often. And the other thing is, is you can retry things by pushing them. Mm-hmm. There are consequences, but you can totally retry a roll. Like, I go to try and, you know, and break down the door with my, you know, to push in the door, to, you know, to to force the lock. Sure. And I fail. I can then try to bash the door, retry opening the door effectively. Right. Um, but now I have to a explain the difference. So I'm I'm gonna put a heavy shoulder into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being you basically doing lock picking, now now you're shouldering the door. Okay, sure, that's sure. fair. You know, if you uh, if you fail that, there are consequences. Yes. And if it's botched, you can't. Well, you can't. You can't push a botched roll. Ah, is what it comes down okay. to. So I thought it was the second one. If it botches, you're done. Well, no. I mean, because you can only you can only push once. Oh. you're already done. Um, and if you fail, it comes with consequences. So, like okay. in, in in your example, you would jam your shoulder or maybe take some damage or something like that. You yeah. Know? Um. Uh, but yeah, if you if you botch a roll, you can't push it. You can't try again. That's your consequence for failing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like though that, uh, 
they they offer you the ability to retry things, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of put a limit on it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know how many times, like, in D&D, I've had that where it's like, you know, okay, we'll do this. Okay, well, I failed. I just, I'm just going to roll again. Yeah. And then you think, like, oh, damn, why am I even having you roll? You're like, yeah, you could just roll right. until you get it, you know? Well, it's, it's the things, like, I can, I always see cinematically, you know, like, the person's trying to start the plane, right? Mm-hmm. And it won't start. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get out and spin the prop while they hold the choke. O- yeah. Okay, that's the second thing. Goes out there, spins the prop, and it, it either starts up or it doesn't. So now the plane won't take off, and they're, they've still got, you know, the, the cultist chasing them down. You know, what do you do then? Now you've got to move on, because the first one didn't make it, and the second one didn't make it either. You've got to shift gears. You can't just keep trying, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Or, or worse yet, you go to start it, and you go to pull the choke, and it comes out in your hand because you botched. Yeah. Now yeah. you've broken the plane. Uh-oh. I you mean, know. just straight up, you flooded it. Yeah. Now it ain't going to start for the next five minutes, yeah. and when you've got deep ones chewing on the <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, on the tires, it's that's a bad time. Yep. Um, so, like I said, skills, pretty straightforward, honestly. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that they play out. Uh, there is a vast number of skills. The only things I don't really like is that there is a lot of, like... Um, subdivision in skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of like broad terms. Like Savage Worlds does it really well for me. There's like 20 skills in the yeah. entire game, uh, and most settings won't use all of them. Yeah. Um, but this one has like a difference between firearms pistol and firearms rifle shotgun and firearms heavy weapon and firearms submachine gun. Feels more like Palladium. A little bit like Palladium, but the good news is though is that like if you get one of those to 50, it puts a plus 10 in all the other related ones. Because, honestly, if you can fire a pistol, you kind of probably know how a submachine gun works. You know, you hold it by the handle, you squeeze the trigger, you point it at the thing you want to die. Um, speaking of pointing things combat. at... Combat. <laughs> pointing things at, uh, at things you want to die. Combat. Um, so, initiative order goes by dex. Okay. So dex is just a stat. Um... And then uh, there's a weird rule that says firing a gun, like if you're just going to just unleash hell with a gun, no movement, no aiming, no other actions, mm-hmm. your one and only thing that you're going to do is just start spraying bullets, you get a plus 50 on your initiative. You're, you're, you're laying down cover fire. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, I started blasting. Anyway, I started blasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one thing I uh, uh, I noted earlier is that the uh, the game system is highly lethal, mm-hmm. um, and this is uh, this is keeping very strongly with the horror background. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons why like D anD D doesn't work as a horror game mm-hmm. because you have way too many tools to deal with the things that would that should make you afraid. Right. You know, and you mentioned earlier, like in D anD D, you fight gods all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of course you can. When you have 250 hit points and a plus five Holy Avenger, of course you're going to go fight gods. And and with your cleric literally being able to snap three different ways by that point to basically bring you back to your feet from anything. Yeah, exactly. And and when yeah when when death is a minor inconvenience because you have a cleric. Um, yeah. In this game, uh, your like your average character hit points is about 15, give mm-hmm. or take. Yeah. Um. And uh, you can easily do that in like two bullets from a gun. Yeah. One if it's an impaling strike. Yep. Um, and your hit point total never goes up, so you're always squishy. You're always mortal. Right. And someone with a switchblade is always a threat. Yeah. And so there's rarely a time when you're staring down overwhelming odds and going, I can take them. Yeah. You know? Um, 
so it's basically just your skills. Mm-hmm. As always, it's mm-hmm. the exact same thing. It's not a, not a separate combat system. You just Which roll your I love. Yeah, it's you just roll your app, uh, applicable skill to whatever it is you're doing, fighting, uh, melee weapons, or you know whatever subdivision of firearm you're trying to use. Um, if you roll one of your extreme difficulties, as I mentioned earlier, this is an impaling strike. Uh, now with bludgeoning damage, um, you just do your max weapon damage. Okay. And then one of the derived stats that you've got is called uh, damage bonus. And it comes from, um, I forgot to write it down, but I think it's it's based off of your size and your dex or something. Okay. But there's there's some way of figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you'll see so you'll have a damage bonus stat. Mm-hmm. And it will basically just be an extra die. Uh, gotcha. Maybe a D3, maybe a D4, something like that. Um and so with a bludgeoning damage, you'll you'll do, like, your max weapon damage, which might be, like, a D4 if you're punching somebody, mm-hmm. uh, plus your damage bonus, which might be, like, a D3. So mm-hmm. with an impaling strike with a fist, you might do seven damage. I oh. mean, you could lay someone out with that. That's half of your average hit points. Mm-hmm. With anything that isn't bludgeoning damage, you do base weapon damage... Plus your dam- max weapon da- or sorry your your max weapon damage plus your max damage bonus, and then you roll the weapon damage on top of that. Um, so like, as an example, a Colt nineteen eleven, forty five handgun, mm-hmm. which was very common in that time, um, does a D ten plus two damage. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at three to twelve damage. Already, one bullet from that gun. Is pretty much going to put you in critical condition. Mm-hmm. If you roll an impaling strike, the lowest damage you can roll is 15. Mm-hmm. And Which that's, And that's average hit points for a person. Yeah. You can basically one-shot somebody. And that's... You, the only reason you wouldn't one-shot them is if they're extremely tough and you rolled minimum damage. Yep. That's going to max out at 24. Yeah. I mean, you can dodge. Uh-huh. Dodge is a thing. Um, fight back was the one that always got me when I was trying to read up on fight back versus just dodging. Yeah, fight back is an interesting mechanic. Um, I'm do- dodge is pretty self-explanatory. Um, yeah. it's, there's a dodge skill, mm-hmm. and you will want to you will want the dodge skill. Mm-hmm. It is the thing that keeps you alive. Um, but yeah, you can actually fight back. Um, as a reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's basically um, it's kind of a combination parry counterattack. Mm-hmm. Almost where, like a repost. Yeah, you uh, like if you you roll your own fighting skill, and this is I think really more for like melee style stuff. Um, you're not really going to fight back in uh, unless you're extremely close to a person firing a firearm. Um, but you roll your own your own combat skill, and if you uh, if you roll a hit on that, you actually or sorry, if you beat their roll, so if you roll lower than them, mm-hmm. um, you actually do damage to them instead of them doing to you. Right, because they they made a mistake stepping into combat with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the only thing is, you can't crit. You're never going to get your extreme impaling strike on that. Um, there are some uh, some other little side rules for being overwhelmed, um, and this is this is kind of a cool thing. It's basically keep you from like just having a, a high dodge stat and being completely invincible. Um, is you can only dodge or fight back as many times as you have attacks. So if you've got one attack as a normal average everyday human being, um, you can only dodge once until you become overwhelmed. If you are overwhelmed, opponents get a bonus die against you. Mm-hmm. And how bonus die works is basically like uh, like advantage in D&D. 
Right. Uh, where you add in an extra tens die, and then you take the better of uh, of the two. Um, and this gets this gets a little complicated when you start running into like monsters with like three or four attacks because you start getting up on them and they can just keep dodging you and like an entire group they can just dodge because they get four attacks, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions that came up in chat and I was actually doing a, a looking up real quick was, uh, can you armor up or can you use martial arts for self-defense? There are some supported armor rules um, that are in the book uh, that just reduce the damage yep. by a point or two. They act as damage reduction and um, it's very minuscule. Yeah. It, and, and there are some statements about whether the armor is intact or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has more to do with the story than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it again, this, this story is not meant to be heroic characters. It really you isn't. Know, this, this isn't ninjas going to fight a cult. So you're, you know, a player who has martial arts abilities isn't an investigator mm-hmm. by trade. They're, they're a guard, they're a bodyguard. They might be an extra you know, that's not one of the player characters, but that's, it's stepping away from the theme of, of what you're going into. So again, the, that there's no rules for that because that's not the type of people you're playing with. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, 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 it fits in the same kind of category as, you know, uh, you know, uh, if I was to say, you know, my, you know, in my D and D game, uh, you know, is there any stats for, uh, be, you know, is there any way that, uh, I am, more i am more recognized than everyone else therefore i get a you know do i do i get bonuses for being recognized as a streamer mm-hmm. like well there's really that's D is a combat game you, you don't have having bonuses to being a, a the lord of a specific county doesn't give you charisma everywhere you're trying to tell me these orcs have neither liked nor subscribed correct they have not they didn't even smash that bell icon they did not they did not in fact <laughs> You're losing subscriptions. All right, so zero HP means you're dead. Yep. yep. Um, if more than half your HP gets taken, uh, uh, in in a well, basically more than half your HP gets taken, um, you uh, you now have a major wound, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just a little check mark you put on there. That's a storied thing, um, but it has some some pretty big consequences for it. Um, make a Constitution save or fall unconscious mm-hmm. right then and there which may result in the rest of your death, depending on what caused you to go unconscious in the first place. Right, right. Um, and then uh, recovery is remarkably slow. It's literally one HP a day. And keeping in mind, there's no real magical healing in this. There is magic, but really no magical healing. Most of the magic does horrible, horrible things. Yeah. Because it comes from a horrible, horrible place. Correct. Um, if you have one of those major wounds, like you've taken over half your hit points... Um, you have to make a con save while healing, and if you're successful, you get 1d3 hit points back per week instead of one a day. Oof. Yeah. Um, you do get a uh, a bonus die on this if you're getting a pro- professional medical care, like in a hospital or something like that. Yeah. Um, and there is no spamming of heal. Yep. Uh, you can you can use first aid or medicine to try to repair wounds and stuff like that. Um uh, but it's really difficult to do, and uh, like first aid only repairs one hit point, hmm. and that is basically per instance of damage. You have to take damage again before you can be u- you before first aid can be used on you again. So you basically, like I said, you can't spam heal somebody. You can't just stand over them and be like, okay, well I'm just going to use first aid a dozen times and give them a dozen hit points back. Um, there are chase rules in the game. 
Okay, that's always nice. I like chase it's rolls. It's a very good thing, especially for horror games, because you shouldn't... Like, you should be running all the time. You should be running from things all the time. Uh, the chase rules actually play out a lot like Savage Worlds rules. Um, you've kind of got abstract distances. You um, you kind of figure out an abstract movement base for everybody based sure. on how fast there should be move. There might be obstacles along the way that to be able to move along these abstract distances you need to resolve. And, of course, those should all be narratively appropriate. If you're being chased right. through a house, it might be a locked door. It might be a staircase you need to, like, carefully navigate so not go tumbling down. Right. Something like that. Um, and then, you know, you might you might escape or they might catch you. That might result into combat or it might mm-hmm. just result in the untimely death of your investigator. I don't know. It happens. Um, sanity. Sanity. I, I think sanity is the key of this entire game. It's, it's a macabre stat that is necessary. It's it's definitely the thing that 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 uh sets it apart from other games. Yeah. I mean the idea that you actually can lose sanity and you have temporary, indefinite and permanent insanity that can occur. Mm-hmm. And I, I I it's it is it is such a important part of the system now. Yeah. That to say that, like, you know, all the other stuff that we talked about are general mechanics necessary that, you know, most game systems have if they're going to have any kind of tactical, mm-hmm. you know, or or mechanical edge beyond, you know, dreads, guess what, you're either alive or dead kind of moment. Sure, sure. You know, this then adds that extra flavor edge that, like, White Wolf does with humanity mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that some do with luck and other places like that where you, you, you basically increase your... Your your ability to be cooler. Yeah. Sanity does just the opposite. It brings you closer to the edge. Mm-hmm. Now, there's um, a lot of cool things about sanity, though. Um, so, first off, I mean, it's very iconic because, uh, uh, like, it was the major theme of a lot of Lovecraft's writing. Mm-hmm. Was the, you know, not that these events unfolded in real time as you were reading them, but more like... Uh, I mean, like, you took a look at the original story, Call of Cthulhu, that mm-hmm. inspired this entire thing. Mm-hmm. It's basically a guy learning about Cthulhu's existence and going slowly mad as he learns more and more and more right. and how deep that rabbit hole goes. Yeah. It's really not like, I mean, I th- I think Cthulhu shows up, like, at the very end or something like that. Like, they see him, like, briefly. I, I always assumed it was maybe they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, but it's 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 real iffy, and there's an, a very unreliable narrator. But basically, it's a story about him like realizing like, oh, holy crap, we are we are screwed, and that's it. Like that's the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about him going slowly insane as he makes that realization. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's rooted right there in all of Lovecraft's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a sanity score. Um, it's a I believe a derived stat. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot use luck to make sanity checks. You can't luck your way out of seeing horror, you know, horrible things or learning terrible secrets about the universe. Which checks? <laughs> um, sanity, uh, you can't, you also can't get an extreme success on it. Correct. It's either pass or fail. Um, and when you're confronted with something that should do damage to your sanity, um, you either pass and you take, basically all sanity loss has a, has two values. Mm. You either take the minimum value, which is sometimes zero. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can look things in the eye and go, all right, damn it. I see you're a monster. Let's fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and other times it drives you a little batty. And that's when you fail it. You take the other damage roll. Mm-hmm. If you, you, know, you, you can't critically succeed, but you can critically fail. Oh. And if you do that, you take the maximum of whatever randomized 
damage value that is. Um, if you take even just a small amount of sanity damage, you're going to have some small reaction. That may be dropping whatever you're holding, uh, gasping or screaming out loud, which may, in fact, reveal your position. Mm-hmm. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Just, just a momentary, like, one-turn involuntary sort of thing. Um, if you take five points, it requires an intelligence roll. Uh, if you pass, you go a little batty because you understand the full implications of things. This is actually a role you want to fail. The smarter you are, the easier it is for you to take sanity damage because you understand what you're looking at. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I could see that. Um, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ignorance is bliss in this point. Um, if you take half of your sanity in a single day, you're just indefinitely insane. Hmm. Um, something happens. And now it may just be lingering paranoia. It may be hallucinations. I mean, it's not like, you know, completely batty and you have to be checked into the institution. I mean, you maybe should be checked into the institution, but right. that's neither here nor there. You don't lose your character over it, is what I'm saying. Right. Um, and then uh, there's like little bouts of madness. Like whenever you, whenever you, you take these sort of things, you may be uh, 1d10 rounds. If you have other people around to kind of like help you keep grounded and stuff, but if you're alone, or if everyone else is also in a maddened state, that is one d ten hours that these last, and they can these are like results in like short term loss of your characters. Yeah, um, you may black out. Yeah, you may wake up in a ditch. Mm hmm. Missing a shoe. Yep. (laughs) Your wallet's gone. You have no idea how you got there. Yeah, you may wake up on a train. Well, one of the ones that got me was uh, there's a campaign that starts out where the players are a recovery team being sent to the moon, uh, the, the near the dark side of the moon, uh, to pick up a existing group of scientists who were there that have gone incommunicado. Mm-hmm. Like they they went on a mission. They should have been back six hours ago. Mm-hmm. They didn't. So we're we're it's already too late. The green, you know, green window closed. We now have to send a new team up there to find out what's going on. Yeah. And so you're the recovery team that's expendable. And literally the the players launch and then those characters get set to the side and you play the main team to find out why they're incommunicado. Oh wow. Knowing full and well that you will become incommunicado. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and uh the the one thing that the you read at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. as the opening and then you read again as you're launching uh as a reminder to the group is the communication equipment is in perfect functioning order sends and retrievals on the automated echo are working perfectly fine mhm so it's not equipment malfunction yep there's something else going on Yep, and and it's so it's a two part story, and I I think it's fantastic mm-hmm. that when when you can do something like that because it does have a shutdown moment, and maybe there are survivors. Yeah, so you never know. Yep, or maybe there are survivors, and they are the new villains. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, so you can recover sanity. Yep. Um. Uh. I I guess it. it there's a little there's a little debate about whether this is an actual real rule or not. Um, hmm. I, I I was not able to find a solid uh, answer on this one, but killing a mythos monster, hmm. I think that's I think it's a I think it's a rule for pulp Cthulhu. 
It would make sense. Um, where if you if you kill a Mythos monster, it emboldens you because you can. Um, you see that they're defeatable. It's, it's tangible and something. It's it's the uh, oh, they do bleed. Yeah, the thirteenth yes. warrior. If it bleeds, it's a man. I can kill it. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, raising a skill to ninety mm-hmm. because the self discipline that it takes to do to to master a skill in that way um, hardens your hardens your mind. Okay. Um, psychotherapy, professional help. Yep. Like honest to goodness, go see a shrink. Mm-hmm. You've seen some horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, check yourself into the asylum. Yeah. Um. Or. Self-help, um, you know, visiting family, go to a place of peace, take a fishing vacation for a weekend, you know, yeah, yeah. just get get out of town where no cultists are trying to kill you. Unless it's like something from the deep and then may- maybe go wrangle cattle instead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. After fighting deep ones, maybe hanging out on a lake isn't the greatest place. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you can also kind of get used to the awfulness. Um, at a certain point, uh, you, you kind of have to keep track of like your sources of sanity loss, mm-hmm. um, because after a certain point you become inured to the, uh, to the damage. So like after, like you see, when you see a ghoul for the first time, they'll do like 1d3 sanity damage to you. Once they've done, um, like, uh, their maximum number, once they've done like three points or like if they do d6, they do six points of sanity damage to you. They no longer affect you. So it's not like, you know, running through a, a thing, you're going to see, oh, it's a ghoul, ah, oh, it's a ghoul, ah, yeah. oh, it's a ghoul, you know. After a while, you're like, it's another fucking ghoul, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, after a, a, some time, though, those numbers start going back down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not, like, permanently immune to ghouls, but at least it does kind of cap things off, so you're not constantly being dinged for that. Um, why am I thinking of the scene from the mummy where the mummies all scream at him and then he screams back at them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. Um, now one cool thing is, uh, is that if you do go temporarily mad, mm-hmm. you may get some, uh, some insane insight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see something from beyond. You either see something from beyond or your brain desperately firing on all cylinders trying to, uh, connect what is actually happening to it may connect two ideas in things you cl- clues you haven't even realized yet. Um, so basically, the, the the keeper may drop plot points on you. Just like you realize in this moment of clarity that X, Y, and Z is really what's going on. You're like, holy crap! Um, and then this is one I really like: uh, Mythos hardened. Oh God, yeah. So you have a skill called the Cthulhu Mythos sk- skill. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts at zero. Uh, and really the only way to bring it up is to study mythos tomes and, like, start looking at these arcane books of ancient lore that, of secrets men was not meant to know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, so first off, whenever you gain Cthulhu Mythos score, it reduces your maximum sanity. So it starts at not maximum 99. Mm-hmm. Now, you may only have, like, 50 but your max is 99, right? Mm-hmm. Your cap comes down one for one with your with your Cthulhu Mythos score going up. Okay. So if you have a Cthulhu Mythos score of 25, your maximum sanity is 75. Interesting. If you have a 50, it's you 50. have a maximum sanity of 50. Okay. Now, if your sanity ever dips below what your current Mythos score is, you permanently become mytho cthulhu mythos hardened essentially you know too much about this stuff that it just doesn't bug you anymore yeah you've you've kind of got a grasp on it it's become your reality oh wow and you take half sanity damage from then on 
even if you recover sanity above your mythos score again. Interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. You've just you've just seen how deep the rabbit hole goes, and it doesn't bother you anymore. Like you've kind of gotten used to it. Okay. 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 All right. I like this. I yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's magic. Yeah. Uh, we'll go over magic briefly. Um, uh, you do have a magic points spell. Uh, 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 um, uh, attribute. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this isn't D and D. No. You're not going to have like full blown wizards. Um, you can pick up magic point or magics. Uh, by like learning them from. Um. Uh, like they said, these these mythos tomes, yeah, the tomes, um, other casters, sure, uh, or possibly even mythos entities. Nothing saying you can't call something from beyond Oof, and what? ask it to teach you something. Yeah, this just goes right into warlocks. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's a great idea, and mm-hmm. everybody's going to be loving smiles at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes time, might cost you sanity. Uh, you have to perform the spell correctly at least once, mm-hmm. uh, which of course can have disastrous results, whether it's successful yeah. or not. Um, and one of the cooler, uh, cooler things is there's typically two, um, two versions of each spell. There's the regular version and the deeper magic version of it. Um, so if you cast a spell while experiencing some sort of bout of insanity, uh, it can give you insight into what the deeper version of that spell is if you make a successful Cthulhu Mythos check. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it's permanently learned, even if your sanity gets recovered afterwards. Yep. Uh, so you can, if if you're willing to walk the edge of sanity and stare into the abyss, and risk it staring back at you, you you might recover. Yeah, yep. Uh, and that's that's about all we have for the mechanics, honestly. I mean, it did pretty good considering the the bout of it all. That you know, in a normal show, we would have stopped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But so y- we we press on, we press on. All right. So, uh, what do you think this uh, this system does well here? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I'm I'm going to kind of step into the narrative a little bit here and say that I think one of the things that it's it's done probably the best at was keeping the, the story and I, I guess the mission statement of Call of Cthulhu the same through all of its editions without a doubt. Um, the, 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 the base quote, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. This game, from day one to seventh edition, has exemplified that without question. It is a game based on fear, a basic dramatic game in that sense, and, and a carnal one at that. Without a doubt, you know, we look at games being heroic or, or fantastical, um, but we also look at, at more today now game systems also bending into romance games or or uh, support games, if you will. Uh, Masks is a good example of a support game where really it's less about you being a zero, superhero and more about you supporting each other mm-hmm. and working through the drama. This is purely the the sim- simplification of understanding fear and being able to role play it. Yep. Uh, and yep. and uh, fear of something that is truly unknown, and and coming to terms with that. And a lot of people that I've I've gone back and forth with try to make it a very heroic game, and it doesn't do a very good job of that because it is not. Yeah, um, yeah. I th- I think there's I think there's room for a little heroism, of of like a waitress. You know, uh, pulling, you know, shakily pulling out the thirty-eight special from her little clutch purse, yeah. and you know, shooting, shooting a, one of the three cultists that are, that are trying to murder her in the head before she escapes. But right. like, 
that 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 can arguably be a heroic moment for her, but like it's survival. It's survival. Yeah. Right. Um one of the things that's that was embedded in the book is eventual try up of the players is not guaranteed. Mhm. And that's it's not that it's a possibility that you could fail. It is literally you might succeed at something. Yeah, yeah. So I, the idea of having multiple characters available to be able to continue a story is very much a thing. I, I've heard I've heard people even say like if if you you know if if you're if all of your characters live through a, the even one game session, you're doing it wrong. And it's like, uh, no, that's exhausting, and there wouldn't be character creation or character advancement rules if that were true. Right. Um. But at the same time, though, um, there is a a lot of the rules lean into the idea of a slow sort of attrition. Yes. Um, the more contact you have with the mythos, the more the mythos kind of bleeds into you. And you can't remain the same. Yeah. You're going to slowly lose a little bit of sanity. Even if it's mm-hmm. not, you're you're never truly insane, you're never going to be the same person you were when you started. Right. You're going to learn those secrets and you're never going to go back. Right. You know? I mean, and that's the other thing about the game is because it is, in essence, at, the, at its very poor, very pulpy core, it's a mystery game. Mm-hmm. It is a, and and Sandy Peterson used the term onion skin, where yeah. literally I peel a layer back and I don't get to the core. I get to another layer of the onion yep. and I get to another layer of the onion and I just keep going down until eventually I've peeled so many layers that I now know this is an onion. Oh no! Oh, and and everybody's crying. Yeah, <laughs> and everybody's crying, and everyone's crying, and yep. that's that's the thing is is that it is it is a a different way to tell a story, and a way different way to address that and push it out to players mm-hmm. is that you're not trying to say here is a here is the conclusion that I expect you guys to get to. You are going to complete this dungeon and retrieve X item. And that is the end. Mm-hmm. And yay, you know, let's do the little, you know, Final Fantasy, hands in the air, music playing kind of thing. Everybody, no, no, no. everybody gets a level up and a medal at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. No, no, this is the, uh, hey, you're investigating uh, a, a child abduction, you know, and then you discover that there was family abuse. But the father was a little, a little maddened about the daughter wearing red to school. Yeah, you know, and and then the daughter's missing. So now you've got to find the little girl. But then you discover that the mother might know where she is. But if she says anything, there, you know, the father has ways of hearing her. Right, and you're okay. like, what the hell is that all about? And, and then you just peel back the onions until a eventually bit more. you find that the girl is missing because she's in hiding and she has something. Mm-hmm. She's got daddy's book because when he reads it, he gets angry at the world. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so now, now you start finding more pieces. And again, each one of the layers doesn't lead you to a conclusion. It leads you to another mystery. Yeah. yeah. A good, a good, uh, a good keeper of secrets is never going to, um, just stampede you with Dagon or, or, you know, or, Mm-mm. or Cthulhu or Azathoth on day one, you know, yep. It's going to start light, and then it's going to go deeper, and then it's going to go a little deeper, and then it's going to go a little... Until eventually you are just mired in the mythos, and you're like, how did I even end up here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of uh, one of the ways that I really liked this, and I'm, I'm going to tie this back to something completely weird, mm-hmm. but the storytelling style, if you're looking for something that is not 
not Cthulian, but you want to get the same feeling of how did I get from here to there Mm -hmm. is Gravity Falls. The kids show Gravity Falls. Starts with two kids who go to hang out with their weird uncle at a mystery spot Mm -hmm. in the woods. And it ends in a way that you could never imagine. Fair enough. Because it's layer after layer after layer. And every time you think you're ready for the next layer, there's something more. Okay. And this this exemplifies that kind of storytelling, and I think it's fantastic. And I think it's something that can be taken from this this system, whole cloth, and used properly. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And absolutely. so what it does well is it teaches us, um, and this is where I'm going to get to this, is that it teaches us a amazing way to do storytelling that is different at the core from what we're used to day to day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the best things that they did to help with this is immersion. Mm-hmm. The system actually, in I, I don't remember which one it was, but I want to say it was uh, the uh, Horror on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. When you bought that, you actually got physical items, matchbooks, business cards. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah that yeah. were defaced and, and, and marred that you could literally give to your players with their portraits so that they had a representation of the game in their hand. We've uh-huh. talked about that so many times. And I always think that that is a great way to... to pull your characters even further into the story. I thought it would be really cool if we did run this, even if it was a one-shot, um, just to ask everybody to uh, dress up as their characters. Oh, yeah, totally. Just, totally. just to have that just to have that for the day, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I think that I like, um, I mean, de- definitely everything you just said, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, like, mechanically, the thing that I really like is... Um, uh, it reminded me a lot of Savage Worlds in in that it kind of well, and, and I suppose I suppose you know Dungeons and Dragons is is very good at this too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, at least the you know fifth edition, uh, where you take one mechanic for resolving your your everything, and that's it. That's the mechanic you need to know. In D and D, it's roll a d twenty, add your modifiers. Is it over the target number? Cool. Yeah. Um, in Savage Worlds, it's roll the dice that it says plus your wild die. Is it over a four? Yes. Cool. In this, it's d. It's it's two d ten. It's it's just a percentile die, and it's under. And is is it under? Yeah. Or and is it under a certain threshold? Yep. Yep. And that's it. Very very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to add, story narrative wise, that I think uh, they did really good um, was uh, it. Um, unlike D anD D, it pulls you from railroading. Hmm only by giving you those triggers. And we talked about uh, the story beats and, and uh, creating a, a timer, a doom clock, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Those layers take the doom out of it because there's, there's not an end point. It's just a layer handed off. Mm-hmm. And uh, those kinds of stories, again, are prevalent. Those kind, that kind of storytelling style and presentation happens everywhere through all of these the seventh edition seven editions and their adventure books is that it teaches you how to tell the story less the content yeah 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 and i think that's like that's one of the things that we've always talked about being challenging in any of the systems is it really doesn't teach you how to tell the story it gives you the mechanics Mm -hmm. it gives you the components it tells you about the world gives you a feel 
but how do I tell that story? And this paints it in black and white. Hey, this is where we start. This is what they're uncovering. This is how they uncover the next layer. This is what you present to them next. Here's your next page to present to them. It's not giving you the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, kind of in the back of their heads, they know the end is something large, but they're only being doled out one page at a time. And it keeps the story flowing. And I I, I love that that it it takes this kind of a system, this dramatic dip into chaos mm-hmm. to, pr- to present this mystery style. And it, it's beautiful to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so what are the foibles of the system? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, obviously if you don't like horror, uh, this game is not for you like flat up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is why I kind of was joking about this as one of the greatest game systems I will never play. Yeah. Um, Agreed. No, because I really want to play it. Yep. But damn if I can find anyone else in my current group that does. Yeah. And I might maybe I'll get Matthew, but I like... think you could I think you could probably get three or four of the players to play it. I think the hardest part you're gonna have is that to run the system properly, mm-hmm. we run the risk of changing our storytelling styles. And making you, it... I think you should. I think you should have well, to. I, you yeah. have to, and it's but it at the same time it's vi- that's hard. We know that's hard. Sure, sure, sure. Um so I mean, it'd be a challenge. It definitely well, we could would start be off with one of the established um, uh, modules or something no, true, like that. True, like, true. Like, like said, there's, there's plenty there's of those. Plenty. Um, I, I, this is this is definitely a, a highly lethal game. Yes. Um, either because your character dies or because your character goes insane. Uh, so uh, if you are one of those uh, players that needs to feel attached to your character, and if anything mm-hmm. bad happens to them, that it's going to affect you. If you get uh, what what they call bleed a mm-hmm. lot, if you bleed into your character a lot, um, this may not be a good game for you because things are going to happen to your investigator all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody once said that this is great for conventions because you can walk away. Yeah. Walking away from the table is important, and sometimes being in bed with your friends on horror is bad. Yeah. Um, likewise, and then that same thing, is that uh, the power curve is dead flat. Dead flat. I mean, you, yes, you can get better at your skills, but realistically, it ain't going to go that far. There's no level ups. There's no yeah. cool new abilities around that next experience point. There's no, not even like edges to buy with your, you know, with your advances like there is in Savage Worlds. Like Savage Worlds has a pretty flat power curve. Yeah. And he, but even that is like uh, yeah. extreme compared to this. You will start a lowly investigator and you will end a lowly investigator. Yeah, I think you put an interesting point in here, and I, I, I was really looking at this one like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true, is that it can be played like a slasher flick, but it that is not its best quality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that you don't know. I mean, if you see the slasher, if you, you see Jason or Freddy Krueger, you, you know who they are. Like, yes. they're a tangible thing. And that's, and that's like American horror is usually that style of thing. So it's what we're exposed to all the time. Yeah. I say we're going to play a horror game. You think, okay, we're going to be being chased by a big monster, right. and we're all supposed to be afraid of it and scream. Like, right. that doesn't sound fun. But no, that's not really where Call of Cthulhu gets its horror from. Call right. of Cthulhu gets it from, okay, you... um. Well, honestly, I pulled a little Lovecraftian horror on you, you guys did. in my D&D game. You definitely did. Which was... uh. Okay, so this woman is, like, insane, and she's hiding in the mine. And you're like, okay, well, let's go get the crazy lady out of the mine. Mm -hmm. It's weird that she's this crazy, and she's doing some weird stuff. But basically, we knocked her out, we took her back to her husband, said, put her to bed, put an ice pack on her head. We had to hit her. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That night, he comes back in saying that she's changed. And you're like, what do you mean she's changed? 
and you go walking up to the mine, and the tracks are warped and distorted. Like and you're like iron rails. Like something melted them and then solidified them again. Right. And you're like, what the hell? Something used the smudge tool from Photoshop yeah. on these things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you get in there, and she has turned into a gibbering mouther, just this giant yeah. mass of just gelatinous eyes and teeth and screaming voices and stuff like that. And you guys were just like, what the hell is yeah. that? That is Lovecraftian horror. And we killed it with fire. And you killed we it with killed fire. We killed it with fire. Now imagine... Yeah. If you didn't have that option. Yeah. If then it turned into a chase scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And that's that's exactly what we're talking about of this, is that it it is determined to make you stressful in it. And I think, honestly, I have enough stress in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it can be cathartic. It can it, be. It can, it be, can cathartic be cathartic. Because all of these, these are stresses you can walk away from at the I end of the day. I am certain that there are listeners out there somewhere on this going, why am I not playing this? Yeah. And to you, I say, play on. Exactly. exactly. Everyone has a game, play on. You can do a lot worse than Call of Cthulhu. By you could, you could. And by all means, there are some beautiful storytelling techniques all throughout this. I love it all. There are aspects of it I will be incorporating um, from some of the stuff that I read just in the research of this that I think is super fantastic. And I'm, I'm going to give another shout out to Seth Skorkowski because oh, yeah. it was a large a lar- you, large part of my, of my of my research came from him as well. Yeah. Um, uh, he does a lot of reviews, not is a, like a seven-part series just about 7th edition, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, reviews of basically every other module and yeah. some of the source books that have come out and stuff yeah. like that too. He's so. fantastic at it. So if you are interested... Again, go go dig into Seth. He, if you need a link, come to our Discord. We will send it to you. But otherwise, look him up. He is he's got great great videos. Yep. Uh, so we have a couple questions. I think they're I really good. We're already we're already running pretty late, but we can get through these here. Whatever. I think. Uh, so it's our show. The they box. don't have mics. That's, that's true. <laughs> uh, so Knox in the box asks, uh, my call through question has to do with classes and roles. With defined archetypes and roles in a pinch situation, players can spring into positions a bit more readily. However, since it isn't really a class-based system and characters die a lot, what are some tips for helping uncustomized players adjust and find their roles and purposes in the group a bit more seamlessly? So I go back to uh, being a GM and and having to have a deck of NPCs ready to go. Um, And I think that is a great kind of way to look at it, is that the the whole stat block is not your character. Your character has a career, they have a job, they have a motivation, they have a drive. Those are great start points. Mm-hmm. So if you can literally just figure out somebody who, you know, you start from one of the positions. Maybe a name intrigues you. What does that name infer for a job? You know, mm-hmm. what is the first thing you think that they're doing? And that's the beauty of Call of Cthulhu is anyone can be. So, you know, if you're like, I don't know what to play. Um, okay, come up with a name. Um... All right, Bob Philback. Okay, what does Bob Philback do? Mm-hmm. He's an insurance salesman because that's what sounds like an insurance salesman. Great. What's his? You know, what's his motivation? Bowling on Friday night. Okay, mm-hmm. that he loves to bowl on Friday. Night. So he's a very, he's a very personal thing. This very quickly then adapts into creating a very quick character, and and having that kind of drive be the what brings him into the story. Is something mysterious. That's that's your storyteller who's going to bring that and pull that together. For right. You. I think the question though is like what what uh, when you don't have defined roles like fighter and right. rogue and cleric. Yep. Like cleric, you know, is going to be the healer. The fighter is going to be the person up in their faces and stuff like that. With when you've got 
vague or undefined roles like this, how do you have a group structure? Well, that's the thing, is that you have to go back to their motivations and their drive. Mm -hmm. Why? What puts them in a place that they want to be? He's a bowler, so he's a team person. Mm -hmm. Is he the captain on the team? Is he the pinch guy? So that helps you fit into how you play with the other people at the table. Okay, fair enough. So I always find drive and motivation are the two hardest things to get to, um, but... They come from the other elements of the NPC that I create. Right, right. And um, then corks sit on top of that. So I'd say my my answer is pretty similar uh, in that. Yeah, you're gonna. It's it's more thinking about the character as a as a well rounded individual with with right. with motivations and ensure you you're gonna have skills and stuff like that. You know, but it's just looking at what those skills are, what your profession brings to the table, and mm-hmm. such like that. That kind of defines where your role is. But at the same time, though, um, the other thing I kind of want to bring to the discussion is like. One thing that, like, we had as feedback from the first session of Savage Worlds that we mm-hmm. played was that we moved from Dungeons and Dragons where people did have clearly defined roles. Mm-hmm. And you, there was a mentality that, like, oh, someone needs to be talked to. So that means that's the bard's the job. The face does that. You right. Know? The bard does that. Oh, this is a church thing? The cleric does that. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, we're going to talk to the criminal underground? The rogue does that. Right. But then when we didn't have those set roles, right. when suddenly I stripped the, 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 the classes away from you, the cleric went to go talk to the criminal underground. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, and it, it becomes... It's almost freeing, yeah. in a sense, not to have the clearly defined roles, because then there's nothing saying that you can or can't do these things. If you're good at talking to people because you're a waitress and you deal with people all day, and yeah. you have a high persuasion score because of that, sure. sure. The waitress is now the face of the group, if you need a face. But I... that's also not saying that multiple, like the per- private investigator can absolutely be, you know... Right, a, a, a face as well. You yeah. can send the two of them out together to talk to somebody. Who cares? You know, you know, or 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 you have like a stay-at-home mom who's like, I'll, I'll talk to the kid. Yeah, you know. Oh, all right. I, I didn't even think about that. And, you you know, know, there's there's also more than one way to interface with people too. Mm-hmm. So you know, in Call of Cthulhu, there's charm, mm-hmm. persuasion, um, uh, uh, intimidate. Mm-hmm. You know, a few things like that where you've got. Um, different approaches you can take. Sometimes a person may be, you know, not willing to negotiate with you, but someone with a high charm skill yep. might be able to call him sweetie and catch that twinkle in his eye. Mm-hmm. And he might just cave, you know? True. Um, so, so I, I, I think, I think the, the it's a good thing that roles aren't clearly defined. No, I agree. I think it's more important actually, to, especially in a mystery situation. And I think if you're tending to do those types of games where you're having more of a mystery uh, or, or, or with the setting is not, tactical by nature Mm -hmm. removing the roles help yeah every time yep so uh and as far as how to how to how to get that into a group that like is is having trouble finding their roles i would say just be a fan of your players Mm -hmm. you know if someone's like maybe we should go talk to them yeah absolutely you can go talk to them yep cool how do you want to do this what's your approach approach? you know always approach um etc etc so so overwatch has an interesting question this will be fun to go through uh the great old ones, Elder Gods, Outer Gods, Yogg-Sothoth, Cthulhu, Narlahotep, Dagon, Shrupnagrath, uh, Haster, once, times three. <laughs> um, which is your most story campaign-friendly cosmic horror, and what is it about them that works? I mean, I got my own, but I want to hear yours. Uh, you know, I'm really going to be dead honest with you. Uh-huh. I don't know. <gasps> uh, I you don't know because you don't know them all? <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> I I don't know that I'm familiar enough with all of them and their various okay. idiosyncrasies and, and various mythos and stuff like that. Sure. Um, to really know. Like, I read the story as a Thoth. Okay. Um, and it was really just a guy ranting at the stars. All right, that's fair. And then I read the story Dagon, and it's basically a guy ranting at the sea. I mean, yeah, fair. Okay. And then I read the story Call of Cthulhu. And it was a guy going, holy crap, there's this thing in the ocean. Yeah, that's that's kind of true. And people worship him. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah. So, like, going to the source material wasn't actually terribly helpful to me. Um, now, the, I, I learned far more from playing the Eldritch Horror tabletop game where they have game mechanics attached to them. Sure. So I would say, um, uh, was it... Shubnagaroth, the goat with a thousand young. I believe that's correct, yes. Uh, that one I found rather compelling because that's mm-hmm. monster spam. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I found the Yellow King is one of the non-Lovecraftian ones. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, uh, have you seen the yellow sign? Okay. Is, is the uh, phrase yes. you may know from yes. that. Yes, yes. Um, uh, the Yellow King is very compelling. Uh, because it's a, it's it's all about a a play called mm-hmm. the King in Yellow, but like when you read it, you become obsessed with it and drawn into okay. that sort of thing. He's this horrible, horrible thing. Um, I think those those are probably the two. Like if if I if I if I were to run a Call of Cthulhu game game right now, it would probably either be Shub or the the King in Yellow. Okay, okay. Um, the first one that came to mind was uh, even before I put my notes down was Narlahotep. Uh, and that's only strictly because there was a a uh, a terrible joke about uh, Narla Hotep uh, calling in the old ones, um, in like a Babylon Five esque world. Okay. And uh, the uh, I can't remember the name of the guys with the huge hazmat suits uh, in Babylon Five. Never, I, I, it, it blows really my mind. It, yeah. uh, are are basically come and stop him from doing it. Oh, uh, and it's just he's he's just being ridiculously funny in the whole thing. But uh, in fact, I did stu- I did study um, Yog Sothoth for something, and that was because in Dungeon Dunwich Horrors, he there's a particular quote that basically describes him, um, where he is a gatekeeper, mm-hmm. but less of a gatekeeper of a physical gate. And yet it's there. So a, a, a phantasmal wall, if you will, that separates the sleeping old ones from current space. And he knows when it was put up. He knows why it was put up, how many holes are in it, who's passed through it before, now, and soon. Mm-hmm. And because he knows everything, he's seen it all. Mm-hmm. He the, He's seen everything at all times. He's not like a million eyes. He's just there. He's like the watcher. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, kind of a thing. And that alone makes him, like, he's older than the old ones because he was there when it was made. Which is makes him kind of even more terrifying in yeah, that sense. Yeah, a little bit. So having him at the core of any game where he is the the gray villain if you will. The lurker at the threshold. Yeah. He you is know. the gate. He is the key. Correct. He's yep. every part of it. And and in that, he doesn't unlock the door, but he knows who does. And uh-huh. he knows how it's unlocked. He knows when it's going to be unlocked. And the question is, are you doing his bidding? Is he directing you to that time? 
And there, there's also there's you also know? that that sort of like lingering horror of like he's essentially the Hoover Dam between you and the other old ones. Sort of in in that like he's the threshold. So, you know, I'd like to say that he is the glass between you and, and the them. lion on the other side. Correct. Yes. And he knows when he's going to break. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he knows exactly how he's going to break. And the question is, he's talking to you about that moment. That's Lovecraft, everybody. And that's that's why I think he's a fantastic old one in that sense yeah. that, that he can he can be all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Both friendly and foe mm-hmm. all at the same time. And still be this omnipotent thing that you you can't quite wrap your head around. One of the one of the best things uh, I, I I read was um, putting uh, Lovecraftian horror in perspective, and it was uh, basically about a guy who uh, has some ants in his house, and they uh, they learn to speak, and they 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 learn to say his name, and they realize that he like w- walks past him one time, and they're like they're like Jeff Jeff, and he's like what. What did, did the ants just talk to me? And they're like, "We worship you." And he's like, "Oh, okay, cool. What's up, ants?" Um, and then they like start asking him for favors and stuff of like that. And he's like, "Uh, sure, whatever. You want me to kill this other ant colony? Okay, whatever. I've got a can of raid. You know, done." Yeah. And it's like that offhanded to him, and it's so weird that these little insects have learned to call his name, and he just like. Yeah, sure. Between lunch break and in you know uh, and yeah. dinner, I'm I'll I'll do this weird be thing a for you because whatever life and death to you is meaningless to me, and that's basically Lovecraftian horror. You know, no, that's that's a perfect analogy. I I I'd say it. Or the the other way I've heard it phrased is, uh, if you um, is like an ant realizing what a circuit board is, Ooh. and then coming back with that knowledge of like that I've ant existent isn't isn't this. There are something so much bigger. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, next week's topic, we're going to go into playing alignments correctly. Quote on un- giant air quotes correctly. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave, on Mixlr every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. Uh, you can also find a link to our uh, to our Discord on our Twitter or on our page at uh, storytellerconclave.com. And a big uh, uh, thank you to all of our Patreon members, uh, Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. Thank you so much for contributing to us uh, uh, month after month and helping us keep the show going. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that up at geefrog.bandcamp.com or up on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that up at freemusicarchive.org. We'd like to say again a thank you to our families, to Vicky and Sean for supporting us through all of this that we've been doing. All of our friends who have made our games wonderful and given us these stories to be able to share with you. And you. Our listeners. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu Fatagan. We love you. We love Good you. Night. Good night.